Friends, I invite you to take your Bibles with me. Turn to Romans chapter 7. We'll pick up where we left off. Romans chapter 7. We'll study verses 13 through chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through chapter 8, verse 1. If weekly you turn and look ahead and read ahead, as I hope that you do, you may have already noticed and come this morning knowing that this is a little bit of a confusing and difficult passage of Scripture. I hope that you've been praying for me during the week. I certainly have been praying about the preaching of this passage of Scripture. And I do trust that God is gracious in the giving of it. I believe he's going to help us this morning. I believe that things that seem confusing will be made clear. We're going to go through this passage of Scripture slowly, even more verse by verse and word by word than is usual. But we have three points within this sermon this morning, so don't panic. And we do have more verses of Scripture than are usually taken. But let me encourage you to pay attention this morning to the manner in which we work through the text. This is an opportunity to learn how to deal with difficult scriptures and to receive answers and understanding from the Bible itself rather than just from whatever you read with someone else or come up on your own with. Let us read the word of the Lord. May he give us understanding. May he help us to be a people formed into the image of his holy son. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through that which is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want. I agree with the law. That it is good. So now it is no longer I. Who do it. But sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thus far the word of the Lord our God. May he shepherd us and give us understanding. Let us pray. Lord, you are wise, and all your words are true and good. When you speak, your voice is like thunder. Lord, the earth shakes and the moon melts like wax. O Lord, may your word rest heavily upon our minds and hearts this morning. Lord, give us understanding of difficult passages. O Lord, may the Holy Spirit bear up your word of truth as a sword and plunge it deep into the heart of every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian, how do you think about your sin? Christian, how do you think about your sin? That's what I'm asking this morning. Brother and sister in Christ, when you think on the things that you do and the struggle of your own soul with sin, then you think about faith and the blood of Christ poured out for you. How do you think about it? Those things don't go together. The redeeming grace of the cross of Jesus and the rebellion of our own hearts. They don't share a plate. They don't share a bed. Yet you, like me, and like the Apostle Paul, I think, have all found that they share your body and your person together each day. This morning as we turn in the text of Scripture, we're going to walk with our older brother. We're going to let him teach us some things. And we're going to let him hold out his heart to you where he struggles exactly with this. That he's born again. That he has a new heart and a new mind and new eyes. And he has hands that work evil and wickedness. And a tongue that curses and ears that are bent to rebellion against God. And feet that go places they ought not to go. And he invites us to come along with him. And as he struggles in himself and he holds himself out to you and to me. He says, I don't understand myself. But I want to tell you that there's hope for every Christian. Because you may be like me, tempted to say, man, that sin seems to indicate that my faith isn't genuine. And then your assurance is shaken. And Paul says, oh no, wretched man that I am. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And so this morning I invite you to come along with him. The Apostle Paul, come along with me. As we consider in verse 13, every sinner's confusion. In verse 14 through 23, as we consider every Christian's struggle. And then in verses 24 through chapter 8, verse 1, 
every person's greatest need. Every sinner's confusion, verse 13, verses 14 through 23. Every Christian's struggle, verse 24 through 8, 1. Every person's greatest need. And so look with me at verse 13. We'll read it again and we'll consider every sinner's confusion. Paul asked the question, he says, did that which is good, speaking about the law, then bring death to me? And it's as if he shouts at us the answer, by no means. He's emphatic. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. And as you come to verse 13, you may know and have already realized this. This seems to be a common pattern for Paul. He likes to ask you and me questions. He hasn't met you. He probably doesn't know all of his readers in the church in Rome. Maybe he knows some of them or quite a number of them even. But this is Paul. He's just doing it again and again and again. It's this old pattern that we've seen with him. Chapter 6, verse 1, don't look it up. He asks a question. Chapter 6, verse 15, another question. Chapter 6, 21, a third question, 7-1, another, 7-7, another, and then here in 7-13, yet another. And why does Paul keep doing that? And it's because of this simple assumption that he has within himself. It's a conclusion, and it's this. Paul is in himself saying, if I'm a sinner, and all men, women, and children are sinners then it is very likely that all of us struggle with the grace of Christ similarly. And so he can ask a question in his mind of his own soul and assume that it's going to be good for me and that likewise you have also asked a similar question. Did what is good, did the law, also cause me death and harm. This is pretty normal. We have an issue, a situation, we are sinful people, we break a law, we find ourselves in the crosshairs of the law, we're caught. A police officer, a friend, a spouse, an employer, the reflection in the mirror. And we're tempted in ourselves to look and to say, well, that stupid traffic camera just wasn't there, there'd be no problem, right? If the laws were written differently in this land, well, ultimately I wouldn't have an issue. It's, it's really an issue with the law, with the law, with the law, but not with me. If any of you adults in the room, you say, I don't know, I don't really think like that. I don't try to do like... Any of that sort of thing. Let me just say, hey parents, how about your kids? Because that very presumption is under why every single one of your kids respond to you when you tell them not to do something with, but why, daddy? But why, mama? I just need to see that the law is good. Because I really think without that restriction, it's really not an issue You say, don't put my hand on the hot stove. Well, Dad, if you just would hush, I could put my hand there. And as long as you don't tell me not to do it, it's not going to burn me. You just see the silliness of the question. 
But Paul takes it to the grown-up heart, to the mature, and simply asks the question about the law of God. He's already said that the law of God is good. It is holy and righteous, verse 12 of chapter 7. He's already said it just as plain as day. But he's then again turning to it once more because he understands that he struggles with ownership for his sins. And I think he wagers that you, like me, struggle owning the sinfulness, the offense, and the reality of our sins. If God wasn't so stodgy, it wouldn't be a problem. If God wasn't so jealous, it wouldn't be a problem. If God wasn't so narrow, it wouldn't be a problem. If the law was written differently, it wouldn't be a problem. There could be many ways to heaven if God wasn't so jealous. I could have all this sort of art. I could make all these graven images. I could give my heart to all sorts of things. It wouldn't be an issue if only God was a patron of the arts, not stodgy. And boring and hard. If he wasn't so sensitive, I could say his name in any way that I want. If he wasn't so concerned as a father in heaven, I could do whatever I want on the Sabbath. It wouldn't be a deal. And the list goes on and on and on. There's problems with the law and its author. That's where we want to go. And Paul knows it. And he's saying, simply, friends, we got to sit, we got to look at ourselves. We got to take ownership. For what we've done, even though we are people who like to blame the rules and who like to say, don't look at me, I'm not really guilty, the law's really messed up. And so, Paul's answer, did that which is good then bring death to me by no means, that's what the ESV translates it as. Another translation says, let it never be. But in the most basic, most bare way that you might translate the Greek, it would, it would be translated, let it never even be conceived. Let the thought of the law bringing death to you never even begin in your mind. Let it never be birthed like an infant. Let it not have conception in the heart, not even in the very inclination of the thoughts of the heart. Let, let that never be. That's a pretty serious answer, isn't it? He's so offended by the condition of his own heart and the way he wants to deal with sin and the law. Don't even let it come into your mind for a second. That's what he has to say to us. And then he tells us about the use of the law. Again, he's just repeating himself. There's some redundancy in Paul. He knows that we're like him. We're people who have short memories and half-deaf ears. He says, it was sin producing death in me through what is good. What brought me death? Was it the law? Was it the rules? No, it was my sin. What kills people and makes people miserable and breaks marriages and families and friendships? What ruins the order of society? What is it? What brings death? Is it rules that then you're punished by? No, it is a sinful heart in rebellion against God. 
That's what he wants us to hear. Don't blame the law. Own your own sin. The law is not the problem. Our sinful hearts are. Sin brings death, not the law. But he speaks about the use of the law. He said that sin producing death in me through what is good, that our sin takes the law, this thing that's good, that's holy, that's right, this thing that shows forth the heart of God to us and all of his holiness and all of his goodness and all of his truth. He says our sinful hearts take that up in our hands as a tool for sin. And we take this thing that's meant for life and meant for blessing and we take it and we turn it as a weapon aimed where? At ourselves. Like we have a suicidal inclination. We turn it against ourselves. It's the sin in us that does it. To take what God intends for good and to turn it to wickedness and evil. And he goes on and he says another thing. It's not only that That in the law we come to an understanding of what sin is. That's exactly what he says. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. That's clear enough. The law tells us what sin is. That way we can examine ourselves. The sin that's already there. And find out hey this is what is. But he goes on and he says. That through the commandment. That sin might become sinful beyond measure. That's bizarre isn't it? It's a strange thing to even think. How can this be? This thing that's good, this thing is holy. Whenever sin takes it up and makes use of it, and it's showing us that it's sin, how can it then, what is holy, what is true, make sin to be sinful beyond measure? Well, it's because the law doesn't only show us what sin is in abstract, but it shows us the character of our sinfulness. It displays its wickedness and its contorted, backward rebelliousness. It's just as if Paul is saying, here, look, the law is good and it shows you who God is. But your sin grabs a hold of that wonderful and beautiful thing and takes it as a weapon and dives headlong into wickedness and evil. You might have thought your sin was little. It was just a breaking of one of the ten as you go down the list of the law. It's just a little thing, a casual thing, a thing that just happens accidentally. But Paul says, no, it's way more wicked than that. Your sinfulness is motivated. It is innovative. And it is profound beyond what we can even understand in ourselves. And so he's saying, in essence... That what is intended for our holiness, for us to be like God, we use it as a roadmap of how to offend the God of heaven more prolifically and more profoundly. And your jaw ought to be on the floor and you ought to simply say, well, that's very dark. And it is. And it is significant. And so I want to say to you, friend, I want to say to you, Christian, I want to say to you, fellow sinner, do not for a second 
think that the law is why you sin. Take ownership of the things that you do and say, it's me. I want you to hear this, Christians. True doctrine did not cause you to sin. Creeds don't cause you to sin. Ten Commandments don't cause you to sin. Strict parents who catechize you in the truth of the word do not cause you to sin. You sin and you struggle with sin because you are like me and like Paul, you refuse to repent of sin. Your sin, my sin, Paul's sin is an act of our own doing. And you and I need to look that in the face and tremble at that truth. And let it be held before our eyes so that we're driven to the one that redeems sinners who are helpless. Verses 14 through 23, the passage gets really complicated. You say, that's a lot of passages. And pastor, we read it along with you. How are you going to do this? Slowly. This is one of the most confusing passages of scripture. It's been used by heretics to say, live however you want. This has been used by madmen to simply say, Yes, I'm in prison. I murdered 40 people, but I didn't kill them. I didn't murder them. My sin did. I want to tell you the scripture doesn't teach that. I want to tell you that people that take one verse of scripture as a proof text and then run with it out of its own context, never paying attention to the text of scripture can get there. You're going to see that clearly in a few minutes. And so I want to encourage you to read the Bible slowly with me as we study this. Okay? Learn how to read your Bible well this morning. That's the encouragement. So verse 14. The Apostle Paul uh, is here and he gets personal within himself. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I, Paul's talking about himself, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And some people have read this and commentators have come to this Section, And they've tried to say, well, this is Paul talking about himself before conversion. No. That can't be. And the reason why I would say no to you that Paul's not talking about himself before conversion. As being a man of the flesh, sold under sin. Is that as you go forward in verses 15 through the end. He says, I do not understand my own actions. Present tense. I do not want to do, or I do not do what I want to do. Present tense. Verbs, words have meaning, and verbs have tenses. This is present tense. This is Paul as a Christian and as an apostle. Okay? This is the preacher telling you, this is what I'm struggling with right now. I just invite you to get on board with me. Let Paul, as a Christian, tell you about every Christian struggle. A redeemed heart and sinful flesh living in one person. Okay? So that's a that's just a simple thing we're going to assume, and I think I could demonstrate it to you from the scripture. So verse 14, once again, he says, The law, we know that the law is spiritual. What does Paul mean by that? 
Well, he doesn't just mean that it's spiritual as in sort of a a happy inner feeling of peace or something like that. No, no, no. He's speaking about a person. He's speaking about the person who is the Holy Spirit. The law is of the Spirit. Born out of the Spirit who is God. It is of the Holy Spirit. It's from God. And the law evidences His perfections. So think about this for just a second with me. If God is perfect, and He is, and if God does anything, then He will do it perfectly. That makes sense because He's perfect. If He speaks, His words are perfect because He's perfect. Correct? Well, Paul is saying in like fashion, the law holds the perfections of God because the law is spiritual. It's of God. It's representative of who He is. That's why Paul could say in the former text in verse 12, chapter 7, that the the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. It comes from God. We already know that. That's an established truth. But then he turns to himself and he says, but I am of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. When you read Paul, he talks about the flesh, the fleshliness, the body that's still gripped by sin, still conditioned by sin, has a nature to sin. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying the law of God is holy, but who am I? I'm a person that in my fingertips I like to sin. That in my legs I like to sin. In my mind I like to sin. In my person I'm all the time delighting in sinful things. Struggling with it. That's why we have this phrase, sold under sin. It's the language of slavery. Paul's already said that Christians are no longer slaves of sin. Yet, nonetheless, he finds his hands to be doing things, his mind to be doing things, his eyes to be doing things, his tongue to be saying things that are out of control for him, that are things as if those parts of him are still yet in bondage. So what's Paul saying? I think I can put it very clearly. The law is holy, and I have a sin nature. He's saying that about himself. Verse 15, he continues on and goes and explains himself more. And you could just put yourself in Paul's shoes with this one. because he's, he's, he's talking to you. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. You hear that? For I do not understand my own actions. And then he dives into it and expresses himself more clearly. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the thing that I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And within that is the the assumption that Paul wants to do things that are good, that are holy, things that are of the law, things that are spiritual. He's going to play that out in coming verses. He says, but the things that I do are the things that I hate. In my mind, in my inner man, they're the things I hate, I despise. That's what I end up doing. I want to be holy. I want to do holy things. I actually do in my mind and in my heart. I hate sin. And I don't have any idea why I keep on doing sin. I don't understand this. I'm saved. I'm a child of God, but I keep on failing. You ever do that? 
I do. I'm going to sit right in this passage with Paul. I do this every single day of the week. I'm not only a redeemed Christian, I'm a preacher, and I yet sin. I sin in thought, I sin in word, I sin in deed. I don't want to do it. I know the truth. I know what the Bible teaches about condemnation. I know what the Bible teaches about free grace. I know the truth of my own salvation. And I delight in it. Yet, nonetheless, here I go and here I'm doing it. And I've done it again. And even in the midst of doing it, I know that I'm doing it. And I hate that I'm doing it. And my heart's broken and I just don't get myself. And there's turmoil in myself. You ever feel that way? Christian, how do you feel about your sin? Do you feel this way? Paul goes on in verse 16 and he explains it even further. He says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. What does that mean? That if he does wickedness, that then by the law he thinks that wickedness is good? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying now when I do what I do not want to do, when I sin, even when I'm sinning, know that that sin is wicked and I agree that what the law has said about my sin and all my transgressions that that is good and true and right and holy and I've not done holiness I've not done righteousness I've done sin that's what he's saying and let me put this into like a little bit of an illustration have you ever sinned and you know you're sinned And you've been trying to fight against your sin. You've had a good week for the most part. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, it's late at night or however, what time of day. And and you sin and you know the whole time it's coming out of your mouth or in your mind or in your heart. And you're just, and you feel horrible over it. You've had victory all day long, but now you're on your face and it's just, oh, you know you've sinned. And then you go and what do you do? You enter into the bathroom and you just, you look yourself in the mirror and you just know. And the whole time the law is shouting in your ears and in your heart about your sin. And you say, it's right, God. And I've done this. I've done it. I've done it again. And you wash your hands and it just doesn't wash off. That's something where Paul is. Conviction over sin due to the testimony of the law of God. Paul says that even when I sin, the testimony is true in my heart. And I perceive my sin in the moment I'm doing it. That it's sinful and it's wicked and it's against God. I want to tell you, Christians, unbelievers do not feel conviction over sin. The law is not in their heart. They're not saying that the law is true, that the law is good, that the law is holy and righteous. This is the struggle of a Christian. This is the struggle of a Christian. You go on with Paul and he struggles with this more. And you have verses 17 and 20. The favorite text of heretics. I use it in that term. I don't mean that this is another view amongst many Christian views. And that we're all different and confused about. Well, less clear passages of scripture. No, I mean heretic. Because this is a teaching against The scripture, someone were to say and read verses 17 and verse 20, which are almost identical. So now it is no longer I who do it, I do sin, but sin that dwells within me. I didn't sin, it's it's the old man. I didn't sin, Satan made me do it. 
I didn't sin. I'm not guilty. It's not me. I didn't kill those people. I didn't do those things. It's just my sin nature. That's not what Paul's meaning. You read just that verse and you move on and you take it out of context. You may go there. You may think, wow, this is pretty clear, Pastor. It's kind of what Paul says. But all Scripture has a relation to all of the rest of the Scriptures. You can't just go to verse 17 and to verse 20, close the Bible, move on. Here it is. It said it twice over. So let's read the Bible in its context. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And Paul is struggling with himself. A redeemed heart, a redeemed mind, a redeemed Christian man in sinful flesh. It's not the redeemed man in me, the inner man. The mind, the inner being, verse 22, that's doing these things. The redeemed part of me, it's not this part of me that's doing it. No, it is the sinful flesh, my sin nature. And so I'm a man torn in two. As Luther liked to say in Latin, Paul is saying, I am simul justus et peccator. At the same time, justified in a sinner. Now those things aren't in the same way, are they? Because in our justification, we will say and know if we understand the Bible rightly teaching that it means if you are justified, if you are in Christ, that God looks down from His throne and He points at you specifically into the depth of who you are and He says, not guilty. And the other portion, he's, He delights to proclaim completely righteous. That's true. But Paul is saying, that's who I am in the inner man. But in my flesh, I am seeing a war raged against me. I am justified. And I'm still a sinner. And he struggles to understand himself. You go down and look at verses 22 and 23 and you have again a commentary. Paul addressing this again. Again, he's not saying, I'm not guilty of my sin. That's not Paul. That's not what he would teach. Look at verses 22 and, I'm sorry, 21, 22, 23. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand changed heart, a renewed heart that wants to do right, yet evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, he goes on more. He says, for I delight, I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, in the depth of my soul, I delight in the holiness of God. I delight in His truth. I delight in His holiness. But yet with my hands, 
But I see, verse 23, I see in my members, my body, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Do you feel the frustration of Paul? Do you feel the, the deep struggle of his soul? I know what's right and I love what's right and I do what is wrong. And it's like a war in me. From the inside out and I just, I'm struggling with it. Nothing good in me but what Christ has done. There's nothing good but I desire to do what is right. It's back and it's forth again and again and again. These, these two realities in the Christian soul. A delight in the law of God and holiness. And then a wickedness that carries itself out through acts. Through words, thoughts. And so I ask you again, Christian, do you experience this? Do you sin and not know why you did it? Do you know what's right and then still do wrong, even when you're doing the wrong? I do. And I think pastorally, I think biblically, that this is the sort of struggle that unsettles Christians in their assurance. And this is maybe your experience. Don't raise your hands, but do answer the question. Does your sin ever make you doubt your salvation? And you think, wow, you know, I know that a Christian is to be redeemed. I know that a Christian is to have victory over sin. But here I go, here I am, once again, with the same old sin, and I've struggled with it. Not for five minutes, not for five days, five months or five years, but 20 years. And I'm ashamed of it, and I'm embarrassed of it, and I loathe myself, hating that I would do this sort of thing. And then you get led down the road of Satan's lies where he whispers in your ear, well, maybe you're not really saved if you do a thing like this. And you find yourself asking the question, well, then am I really even a Christian? Was I ever really even a Christian? I want to tell you, Christian, that the Bible's not afraid of that question. And it's not ignorant of your experience. The Apostle Paul, a Christian, a minister, anointed by God, says to you, I'm your brother and I struggle just like you. I want to tell you that this struggle is actually evidence that God is at work in you. And it is absolutely not proof that he's done nothing in you. The unbeliever with a cold and hard heart never for a second delights in the law of God. Never for a second wants to do good or holiness even though they find themselves doing unholy things. This is only a Christian struggle. Only a Christian struggle. It doesn't mean you don't wage war and kill your sin. But it is me saying to you, brother and sister in Christ, do not take the bait from the one that wants to plunge you into damnation and apostasy. Other brothers and sisters, in fact, every single one of us are fighting that battle and we see gains and we know losses. But we are not people without swords and shields and a king who goes before us. 
So what do you do? Where do you go when you're that way, whenever you're down in that sort of depth? Pastor, you've shown me all this, and yeah, I'm with you. Verse 24, Paul immediately turns. And you just hear his voice, and maybe you're shouting it in your soul with me this morning. When you're thinking about your sin, all that that sin that makes you captive. And you shout out with Paul, wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you feel that way? Do you think about your sins and you just are overwhelmed and you say, I'm tired of this again, I fail, and again I fail, and again I fail, and again I fail. When am I ever going to see this broken? Satan would say it's never going to be broken. But Paul takes you to the right place when you see you're wretched. Paul takes you to the right place when you see you're a man, a woman, a little boy or a little girl struggling with sin. Paul asked, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me? He needs deliverance. You need deliverance. I need deliverance to be plucked out of this situation. We need salvation. Paul shouts so that heaven shakes and reverberates with this wonderful praise. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have a deliverer. His name is Jesus. I'm wretched and I need deliverance, and I have him in the Son of God, and he is my Lord. Much less that I'm kicked out of the kingdom or hated by God or castigated by His wrath. But I have a Savior who loves me and who gave Himself for me. Thanks be to God. You turn to Christ, Christian. You have Christ. You have a Redeemer. It's not an unanswered question. The law may show you your sin. The law may terrify you about the darkness of sin. But in Christ you have redemption and a redeemer. So that even as you go on and even as you continue to wage war, even as you struggle with this, today, tomorrow, the next day, and next year, you could say with Paul, so then I myself, yes, serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's going to keep on and I'm going to keep on fighting this. But in 8.1, look at it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. All of these sins that I fight and I fail and I am overwhelmed by. All of those things are in his hands and he will not condemn me. He will not cast me out of his kingdom. He will in every way save me from all of my sins. And call me his son and his daughter. He will not look at me and say once again, you are guilty and despised and I hate you. He'll put his hand on your brow like a son or a daughter that's tripped. Wipe the hair from your face and put the band-aid on your knee. And sit you down at his table and say, yes, you fell, but let me teach you to walk. 
Yes, you sinned. Yes, you said this. But let me teach you, child, the language of my table. Let me love you and teach you to be a warrior in the fight and to not give up and to tell Satan, that snake, to shut his mouth and all of your sinful flesh to be cut off that the new man, the new woman may fully be born in. Not just the inner man, the whole redeemed Christian. It's a confusing passage of Scripture because as sinners, we really love not to look at our sin. But it is clear because God's law is clear. And the cross is full of light and grace that shines into the darkness of our hearts. Last thing I want to say to you, Christian, the thing that you need to hear The big takeaway from this is that the day you first believed, the first five minutes of your walk with Christ, you absolutely needed every ounce of the blood of Christ and His broken body. And in the fifth year, in the fifteenth year, in the fiftieth year, you need Him all the same and more. You need redeeming grace at the moment of your regenerating grace and salvation. And you need it in the moment where you fight sin. And in the moment where your sin depresses you. And in the moment where you fail. And in the moment where the troops of hell overwhelm your soul. You need it again and again and again and again and again. And you never outgrow the desperate need for the grace of Jesus. That's what you should take away from this passage. But it's not just Paul in past tense, but it's Paul today. And it's you and me right where we are. We are wretched men. And thanks be to God, we have a deliverer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures, for your illimitable grace. Lord, how you're patient and kind with us. Lord, how you... Have love that is overwhelming that yes, though our sins be beyond measure, your grace is even greater than all of our sins. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would take these things, oh Lord, and lay them on our hearts and lay them on our minds and that, Lord, you would renew us under the teaching of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.